0: I just want to welcome you all here today. And I read about a small town that had two churches and it had one whiskey distillery. And the churches complained that the distillery was giving the churches a bad image. And then, to make matters worse, the owner of the distillery was an outspoken atheist. So the church people had tried unsuccessfully for years to shut down the distillery and they decided hey, you know, maybe we should actually get together and pray about this. So they did on a Saturday evening. People from both churches got together at one of those buildings, and they prayed. And all throughout their prayer time, there was this tremendous thunder and lightning storm. And then a bolt of lightning struck the distillery, and to the amazement of the people in the church, it burned to the ground. And the next morning, the sermon in both those churches was on the power of prayer. But then the insurance adjusters got involved, and they very quickly told the owner, hey, we're not covering that because that is considered to be an act of God, and that's an exclusion in your policy. So the guy was so furious that he decided he was going to sue both of those churches for the damages because they had conspired with God in order to burn down his distillery. So it went to court because they said, you know, We've got, we had nothing to do with this. Like, don't look at us. So in court, the judge was presiding over the trial and he heard all the arguments that they were making. And this is what he said he said, I find one thing in this case most perplexing. We have a situation here where the plaintiff, an atheist, is professing his belief in the power of prayer, while the defendants, all faithful church members, are denying the same power. (laughs) Now, today, we're going to talk about the power of prayer. And most Christians say that they believe in prayer, but in reality, they don't see much power because they aren't praying very often. If we saw more power, then we'd pray more frequently with a sense of anticipation, and we'd give God the credit when we saw the answer to those prayers. So we all feel inadequate about prayer, and maybe we feel like Jesus' disciples when they said to him, "'Lord, would you teach us to pray?' Now, I'm not an expert in prayer, but James, not my associate, but James, who wrote this book, was. And when you read the book, it's obvious. He talks about it over and over again. In chapter 1, he said, If any of you lacks wisdom, ask of God. And then in chapter 4, Many of you don't know because you don't ask God. And then in the final paragraph of his book, He mentions prayer seven times, and he writes about the fact that prayer is powerful and effective. And the Greek word for effective is actually energy. So it carries with it the idea of an ingredient being added to something else in order to give it power, to turn it into something effective. So prayer can take the average Christian life and turn it into an effective, powerful life, if we put it into practice. So let's learn from James about what makes prayer an amazing force in our lives and in our world. And we begin with some reasons for prayer. So in verse 13 of James 5, anyone who is having troubles should pray. So deliverance from trouble. Now, you'd think that that would come easily, that would be natural, that we would automatically come to God when we are in deep trouble but i read a report from a federal aviation inspector and he said that when they listen to the final words of airline pilots just before their plane crashed like they frequently use profanity like they hear the last words recorded on that little black box the last words that these pilots say and they're not prayers but they're cursing so when faced with extreme trouble Like, people instinctively revert to lifelong habits. So James is saying, okay, you get into the habit of calling upon God when you are in trouble, but not just when you're in deep distress, but in everyday kinds of problems. So you guys, when you walk into class and you haven't read the homework, and your teacher says, pop quiz today, like that's the time to pray, and you pray that Jesus will come for the second time r- right now. Or when you discover a strange lump on your body, that's when you pray, Lord, help this to not be cancer. Or maybe you get a message from your boss, I want you to meet me in my office at 11 o'clock tomorrow morning, so it's time to pray, Lord, help my job to be secure. And when churches are in trouble, they should pray as well. So in verse 13, James said, anyone who is having trouble should pray. Anyone who is happy should sing praises. So there's another reason for prayer, and that is singing. When you praise God in singing, it takes the attention off yourself, places it on God. And most of the songs that we sing are actually expressions of our love or our adoration for God. They aren't just songs to sing while latecomers get seated. It's not just a warm-up for the sermon. Although I had a guy tell me once, you know, you should have almost like a pep rally atmosphere, just have people so pumped that when you get up there, they're just going crazy. And I, I took a Dale Carnegie course one time, and I found out how to actually do that. They said, next week, come with a two minute speech about something that annoys you. So, and then bring six newspapers with you. So, I had this little speech about my mother in law and how something she did annoyed me. And you get to the meeting, and they took turns hauling you off into a side room. You roll your newspapers all up into a bat. And then they just get you to keep pounding at the table until you're just raging. And then they say, okay, go out there and give your speech. So I, My mother does this. I don't know why I'm so mad about it. And then you're smacking the table. So maybe I could do that with you guys, just to get you wound up a little bit somehow. But our songs are expressions of thanks from the heart. Are your children healthy? Give thanks. Are you glad to be alive? Then give thanks. Are you thankful that Christ has saved you? Give thanks. Are you thankful that Christ has died for your sins? Praise God and give thanks. Are you thankful that you have the hope of eternal life? Give thanks. And then you pray by singing praises to God. A guy by the name of John Blanchard said, when the world is on top of you, pray. And when you're on top of the world, pray. Like We have a God for all seasons. I remember in the book of Acts when Paul and Silas had been arrested, they were taken into this dungeon, they were placed in a cell, and then stocks were placed on their arms and their ankles. And most people in that situation are... Cursing at the time, but listen to what they did in Acts sixteen twenty-five. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing songs to God as the other prisoners listened. So they were praying when in trouble, and they were singing songs of praise to God, thankful that they were considered worthy to suffer in the name of Christ. Like they had been beaten and placed in this jail. Like What a witness that was to the other prisoners because all they ever heard from people was complaining and cursing and groaning about their situation. And then in verse 26, suddenly there was a strong earthquake that shook the foundation of the jail. Then all the doors of the jail broke open and all the prisoners were freed from their chains. So when they prayed while in trouble... God responded. They sang songs of praise, and the power of God flowed through that prison, and they were released. So James 5, 13 and 14, anyone who is having troubles should pray. Anyone who is happy should sing praises. Anyone who is sick should call the church's elders. They should pray and pour oil on the person in the name of the Lord. So there's another reason for prayer is when there is extreme illness. This is when people are incapacitated to the point where you have to call upon somebody to come and pray for them. And the elders are the shepherds or overseers of the church, and they are called upon to pray for this individual and anoint the individual with oil. Now, he's actually not talking about the Roman Catholic ordinance of extreme unction where someone is anointed with oil, uh, given their last rites, as they take their final breath. He's talking about those we can pray for to be healed. But there's a controversy over what's the purpose of the oil. Is it medicinal or is it just symbolic? And you read through different opinions and the general feeling is that the oil actually referred to here is medicinal. Because the word means to apply or to rub something into the skin. And in Bible times, oil was used for medicinal purposes. I remember the story that Jesus told about the Samaritan that helped out a Jewish man that had been beaten. And at one point, he poured oil on the man's wounds. So what James is saying here is, call for the best medicinal procedure of the day. Today the oil would represent antibiotics. It would be other medicines. It could be therapies. It could be surgery. But you go for all of those. But he isn't saying, let's forget about medicinal practice altogether and let's have a faith healing. He's saying, when you are sick, You apply the best medical treatment that you can and apply it, and then you call the spiritual leaders of the church. And then in verse 15, And the prayer that is said with faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will heal that person. So there will be power in that prayer. And it's not a magical formula that guarantees that if you have... Healing every time because if that was the case, like nobody would die. And those who suggest that if we have enough faith and are walking close enough to God that we will always be healed, that's wrong. The most moving event that I was involved in was, boy, that's now 2004 or five, but there was a church plant in Hammond's Plains and They didn't have elders at the time, but their worship and arts director, his young boy was three years of age, Silas Patterson, and he developed brain cancer. And so they called upon the elders of our church to go in and just place oil on him and pray for him. And it was so moving. And the nurse that was there accompanying him, she started coming to church after that. She was just so moved by the faith of that family. But that little boy died. And like we prayed in faith, his family were full of faith. So people aren't always healed. Paul said, I left my companion Trophimus in Miletus because he was sick. And Paul had the power to heal, but not everyone was healed. On the other hand, I know people that are alive today because of the power of prayer. Probably an example of that myself. But the big qualifier at the end of the 14th verse is that this is done in the name of the Lord. So that doesn't mean that we end our prayers by saying, in Jesus' name we pray. That means that we pray in tune with the Lord's will. We pray that his will be done. We pray, you know, we want this person to get well, Lord. We want them to get better. We want to see your healing power flow through them but we surrender to your will and allow you to do what is best. Wayne Smith was a much-loved pastor within our fellowship of churches, a real comedian, and he was really amazing. I met him on a number of occasions. But one time he had a heart attack, and he was in the hospital, and 76 people from his church were in the chapel, and they were praying that Wayne wouldn't need surgery, but... He did have to have surgery, and during that surgery, they discovered that the sac around his heart actually had a hole in it. And if that had gone undetected, he would have died in 6 to 12 months. And then if the second choice, had, which was balloon angioplasty, if they had done that, that would have killed him immediately. Now, those people were disappointed, Like, they'd been praying that he wouldn't need surgery, and they heard the word, Wayne's being taken to surgery. But then afterwards, they discovered why God didn't answer that prayer. So I believe that when we get to heaven, we'll find out what a blessing it was when our prayers weren't answered, and we were frustrated because they weren't answered. So there are some important prerequisites for prayer like certain conditions that need to be met in order for prayer to be effective. And first thing, it's faith. And that 15th verse again, the first part of it. And the prayer that is said with faith will make the sick person well. So a tentative, a skeptical prayer is not going to do much. It's not going to have much power. And he's also not saying that when you pray, you've got to be absolutely convinced that it will be answered this way. But this is important. What he is saying is, when you pray, be confident that there's a God who hears you and a God who wants to do what is best for you. So that's the type of faith that Jesus is talking about. And he said, if your faith is like a grain of mustard seed, that you'll be able to move mountains. Like we know that a satellite dish, like thousands of kilometers in space, is able to pick up people talking on a ship out in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean. So if we know that, is it too much to believe that the God who created us can tune his ear and he can hear our prayers? Hebrews 11.6, "'Without faith, no one can please God. "'Anyone who comes to God must believe that he is real.'" and that he rewards those who truly find him. So faith is foundational. Then we we need harmony. like We need to be in right relationships. So in the second part of James 5.16, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. So the Bible makes it clear that we can't have a right relationship with God unless we have a proper relationship with the people in our lives. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew five twenty three. So when you offer your gift to God at the altar and you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there at the altar. Go and make peace with that person and then come and offer your gift. So when you're at odds with another Christian, you're at odds with God. You're not ready to pray. When you're at a sorts with your mate, then that blocks the power of God. One Christian writer said that she was, actually he, was praying one day, and this is what he said. Lord, I have treated my wife with disrespect. I have abused her. I've been critical of her. I've been mean-spirited. I ask your forgiveness. And he said it was as if the Lord was speaking to me Saying, I know. Like, go tell her. And that's what it is. There are people in our lives that we need to go to, and we need to say that we're sorry. Like James says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so God can heal you. But we have to add a word of caution here. Like this doesn't mean that you don't excuse me, this doesn't mean that you go down the street and you tell everything to everyone who will listen. There are times when you need to confess private sins to a trusted friend or counselor, but biblical confession should be made to the person whom we sinned against and from whom we need that forgiveness. Sometimes we have wounded the heart of God, and we need to go to him. Sometimes we've wounded another person's heart, and we need to go to that person. And then there's also public confession. When we've done something where it affects a whole family, maybe a group, or even a whole church has been offended. And if someone comes to you and they say, "Look, I'm sorry, I really hurt you, then you have a responsibility to accept that, to swallow your pride, and to have things made right between you and that person. Because Jesus said, forgive us our sins just as we have forgiven those who sinned against us. So confess your sin and pray with power that you will be healed. Now another prerequisite is righteousness. And then further along in verse 16, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Then not one of us is righteous; like we've all been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. And but what he means here is the closer we walk with God, the more powerful or potent our prayers will be. The eighty-fourth Psalm: The Lord is like a sun and shield. The Lord gives us kindness and honor. He does not hold back anything good from those whose lives are innocent. So if you want your prayers to be powerful, then walk in obedience to God." Frank Peretti wrote the book, This Present Darkness. And in that novel, he pictures the angels of heaven and they're armed and they're ready to go into battle for Christians. But they can't go into battle until we summon them. And he pictured them, you know, they're just standing there, they're ready to go, and they're saying, come on, buddy, just ask me, just ask me, and, and I'll be there to help you. So we need to ask. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results, but we have to ask. And then James cites the, the Old Testament prophet, as Elijah, as a positive example of prayer. And this is found in 1 Kings 17. And I need to make some things clear. Elijah is human just like us. He wasn't perfect. He knew depression. He knew pity. He knew cowardice. But he was God's prophet in a time when Israel was reeking with idolatry and immorality. And Elijah was sent by God to urge that whole nation of people to repent and turn back to God. So Elijah did that. He prayed and when they didn't repent he prayed that they would be disciplined by a drought and james tells us that it didn't rain for three and a half years because of elijah's prayer now i've been golfing with non-believers before and after i reveal what i do i try not to do that on the first hole i don't let them know i'm a pastor till later one time it was the 13th hole and the woman said i thought you were a funeral director (laughs) Oh, I, it's your calm demeanor, she said. Okay, it's not that I looked like Ichabod Crane or something like that. But uh, so, why was I saying all that? So he, oh, right, thank you. <laughs> so, thank you, James. So, so uh, it starts to rain. And someone says, oh, come on there, buddy. Can't you pray and stop the rain? And, and I say, well, no, I, I'm not in the management side of things. I'm in sales. Like, God takes care of the management. But it, it seems as if Elijah had some connections with the management of creation because his prayer affected that nation for three and a half years. And then the people did repent. And Elijah prayed again, and then there was this tremendous rainstorm that refreshed the earth. If we could only pray with just a small measure of the power that he had. And then James tells us that Elijah prayed earnestly, and the literal phrase means he prayed in prayer. He prayed in prayer. See, many times people don't pray in their prayers. They just repeat religious words. And God's not impressed with rituals or prayers that we've memorized and say by rote. See, in Matthew 6, 7, and when you pray, don't be like those people who don't know God. They continue saying things that mean nothing, thinking that God will hear them because of their many words. See, when you receive a card in the mail, it doesn't happen a lot today. It's usually an email something, But you have a card. It's either congratulations or maybe it's in sympathy. And and what do you pay most attention to? Do you look at that little poem that's on the inside? Or do you look to the bottom at the handwritten note that that individual has placed in there? I look at that note. That's what means the most to me. And God wants your prayers to come from the heart. Even if they're awkward, even if they're unpoetic, he wants them to come from your heart. And then finally, some suggestions for how prayer can be more powerful in your life. First of all, schedule a time where you can be alone with God each day. I know it's great to say sentence prayers at any time and just to be able to pray spontaneously, but it's important to have a certain time that we set aside where we make that commitment. It might mean cutting out on 15 minutes of TV. It might mean not hitting the snooze button or whatever, but pick a time in the day and make it a practice. And then find a place where you know you can be alone. In Matthew 6 again, verse 5, Jesus said, When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. They love to stand in the synagogues and on the street corners and pray so people will see them. I tell you the truth, they already have their full reward. When you pray, you go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is seen. Your Father can see what is done in secret, and he will reward you. So find a place where you know you'll be uninterrupted. Pray out loud. Some people like to write their prayers down. Like the priest Eli was watching Hannah pray, and she was praying and moving her lips in silent prayer, and he thought she was drunk. He didn't know what was going on. So one of the reasons we're afraid to pray out loud is because someone might hear us and think that we've kind of lost our mind. But that's why we pray alone and we don't have to worry about what others think. But we still pray in small groups. We still pray in our life groups. We still pray together here at our prayer times. And then talk to God in your normal language. Like, you don't have to use these and thous. It doesn't have to be flowery language. Like, I know one professor at a Christian college, whenever he prays, his voice changes. It, he, he lowers his voice like it has to sound more impressive or something like that. Like one woman said that prayer is just a conversation be- between two people who love each other. And if you're just beginning in the prayer life, and you give it a big go, and after a minute you've said everything you can say, that's fine. Just sit there and listen to see what God has to say to you, or maybe read some Scripture and see if you can sense what He wants you to do. That simple habit will empower your life, and within a year it will dramatically change you. And in your prayers you can just use this simple acrostic based on the word acts. Like the A is adoration. Like Jesus said, when you pray, say, hallowed be thy name. So when we pray, we say, Father, I adore you because you are my creator. You've made everything around me. I'm dependent upon you. And then the confession is, I confess to you that I got jealous yesterday. I confess that I screamed at my kids. I confess that I... Lost my temper. And then the T is thanksgiving. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for my parents. I thank you for my kids. I thank you for this day. The list can just go on and on. And then the S is supplications. And these are requests that we make to God. Like we'll say, here are my needs today, God. Then we'll also say, would you be with those that I'm concerned about today. And we pray about things, about individuals that we know. Here's what Paul said in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not worry about anything, but pray and ask God for everything you need, always giving thanks. And God's peace, which is so great we cannot understand it, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So that's the power of prayer. very rarely will the result be a thunder and lightning storm and a lightning bolt that's going to burn down a distillery. And only on occasion does God miraculously heal someone who's dying. Most requests to bring rain or stop the rain aren't answered immediately. But God promises inner strength. He promises His peace that just passes all understanding and that is to everyone who learns to pray effectively and powerfully. Like Dwight Moody said, every movement of God can be traced to a kneeling figure. And look at Paul in Ephesians 3. With God's power working in us, God can do much more, much more than anything we can ask or imagine. That's what can happen in prayer. If you don't have that relationship with God to even know what it's like to be able to communicate with him, make that decision. Talk to me about it.